Galatians chapter 2, and beginning at verse 15, I'll read through verse 18. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Again, we're looking at this interesting discussion, this confrontation that was going on there as Paul was confronting Peter <clears throat> over his actions at the church there in Antioch. And by reminder, Peter had been worshiping and fellowshipping with the Gentile believers there. But when the Jews, the Jewish coalition came up from Jerusalem, uh, Peter, fearing their opinions and fearing them, well, he decided that he would no longer eat with the Gentiles, and he separated from the Gentile believers and was just eating with the Jews. Of course, we know from the accounts in Acts and from reading in the Gospels that the Jews <clears throat> consider the Gentiles to be dogs, um, just to be really barbarians. They were outside of the realm of grace, and they were not to have anything to do with them. They would not eat with them. Their associations were very limited. But and as Peter, back in the <clears throat> Acts chapter 11, is reporting back to the church in Jerusalem about his interactions with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, he was reprimanded. You went in to eat with uncircumcised Gentiles? How dare you? And, of course, we've been through this, but we see that God is not a respecter of persons. And, indeed, the gospel had gone to the Gentiles, and they were believing it and receiving it. And the conflict there at Antioch was that these Judaizers, these Jewish people who were claiming to be believers, were coming into the church at Antioch and telling the Gentiles that to truly be saved, they had to keep the Mosaic Law. Um, in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, part of their message was, unless you be circumcised, you cannot be saved. And they were adding the law to faith in Christ for salvation. And Peter, by his associations in here in chapter 2, his associations there at Antioch, by separating from the Gentile believers and just fellowshipping with the Jews, was causing the truth of the gospel to be compromised. And this was something that Paul was greatly exercised about, insomuch that he withstood Peter publicly to his face and reprimanded him and did so absolutely correctly. It was necessary that this would be done. We've been through this, <clears throat> but even as Peter was drawn away with the Jews, Barnabas was even carried away with their hypocrisy. And Paul calls him out and says there in verse 14, uh, listen, if you're Peter, if you're living after the manner of the Gentiles, 
you know, and not as the Jews, then why are you compelling the Gentiles to live as do the Jews by your actions? And he was placing <clears throat> those Gentile believers really into a difficult situation where they were either forced to accept what the, these Jews were saying, the Judaizers accept that, well, we've got to keep the law if we're truly to be in Christ, or they would have to recognize that, well, there's a division. There's the Jewish believers, and there's a different type of believers called the Gentile believers, and there's a wall between us, this, this dividing line of the law. We either keep it, or well, we haven't kept it up to this point, but if Peter's doing it, maybe. And so Paul is really um, interjecting himself here and speaking truth. But he goes on, and <clears throat> we pick up in verse 15. And Paul says, We who are Jews by nature, Jews by nature, or Jews here by birth, and not sinners of the Gentiles. Now, what is he? It almost sounds like he's making this division like, Well, I'm a Jew, but you're a sinner. You know, as if the Jews weren't sinners. That's not quite what was going on. But the Jews, would, they called the Gentiles sinners. They were people outside of really the grace of God. Again, they had not received the law of God. And so they referred to them as sinners, not as though they hadn't sinned. But there was this distinction in the Jews' mind. And so Paul is addressing it according to the way they're thinking. And he says, we who are Jews by nature, <clears throat> verse 16... Now he says, we, he is speaking about himself and Peter, certainly, and really inclusive of those Jews who had truly turned to Christ and who were saved. What does he say about him and them? He says, we know that a man is not justified by the works of the law. A man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, that is a very true statement. And he says, we know this. We who have received Christ, we know that a man is justified not by keeping the law, but by placing his faith in Jesus Christ. And he goes on and says, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. I mean, there it is. He spells it out. He says, this is what we believe. What is justification? Well, we need to make sure we understand that term. Justification is a right and holy standing in the sight of God. It is being made positionally righteous. When we talk about justification, we need to make sure we understand what justification is. Man is born a sinner. He is not just before God. He is not righteous. He is sinful. But he says we are not justified by what? We are not justified by keeping the law. And if this point is not hammered home, let me tell you, uh, Paul hammers it home in Romans now, throughout the New Testament, you cannot escape the fact that salvation is not by what? It is not by works. Justification or being declared righteous by God does not come by your good works. If we go back to Romans chapter 4, <clears throat> 
Romans chapter 4, we have the great example of Abraham. Abraham. You go to Romans chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Paul says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. How did Abraham become righteous? Well, Abraham believed God, and God declared Abraham to be righteous. What He gives us the definition, so what is the word? What word is described or defined by believing God? Well, that's easy. It's faith. Okay? Faith is simply believing what God has said. Abraham believed God, and God said, Abraham, I am declaring you to be a righteous man. Does that mean that Abraham never sinned? Does that mean that Abraham was not going to sin after this point in Scripture? No. It is a legal characterization, a legal category that God placed Abraham in, a category of being righteous in his sight. Let's read on here in Romans 4. Now to him that worketh, the reward is reckoned not of grace, but of debt. If you are working and you are paid for your work or you're rewarded for your work, well, it's owed you. It's not grace. It's not a gift. You earned it. But verse 5 says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. That's a wonderful verse. To him that worketh not, but simply does what? Believes on him who justifies ungodly people. By the way, those are the only kind of people that God justifies. God only justifies ungodly people. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why did the Pharisees not receive Christ? Because they trusted in their own righteousness. They didn't need Jesus. They didn't need a Savior. They were doing just fine. So they thought. The whole need not a physician. Those that see don't need anyone to heal them of their blindness. We see that said over and over in the Gospels by Jesus to the Pharisees. God is the one who justifies ungodly people who place their trust in Him, who believe in Him. goes on, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness apart from or without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. That psalm is in the Old Testament. It's the psalm actually we'll be reading this Wednesday night. I was looking at it just a few weeks ago. Oh, no, a few days ago, not a few weeks ago. Just a couple days ago. But in Psalm 32, you can look at that. In fact, as I was reading the psalm, I really didn't get much further than the first two verses. I read those verses. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, 
whose sin is covered. You know, when you read that verse, if your heart does not rejoice, then you don't understand it. Think about that. Blessed or happy is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. When I read those verses, in fact, I was, I was just, I was lying in bed and I thought, wow, just think about those verses. You talk about verses that will just calm the soul, speaks quietness to the spirit. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. My sins are forgiven. They are covered. They're not going to be brought up against me ever. Wow. You think about that. And Paul is quoting this here in Romans 4 as David describeth the blessedness of this man unto whom God gives righteousness or credits righteousness apart from his works. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. He will not put sin on his account. He sees his account as paid in full, nothing wanting. Now, cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or the Jews only? Or upon the uncircumcision also? What about, does it come upon the Gentiles too, or is this just a thing for the Jews? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. And Abraham, well, I mean, he is the ancestor of the Jews. So just because of his position? Well, in verse 10, he says, How then was it reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. In fact, God declared Abraham righteous many, many years before the law was ever given. And in fact, God declared Abraham to be righteous when he was yet uncircumcised. Well, that has everything to do with, with what's being written in Galatians. Acts 15.1, here were these Jews who'd come to Antioch and saying, except you be circumcised after the law of Moses, you cannot be justified. You cannot be saved. You cannot be declared righteous in the sight of God unless you keep this law, unless you are circumcised, unless you observe the eating requirements of Mosaic law. And that's why Peter was separating from the Gentiles. Oh, no, my reputation is at stake. What these Jews will think of me. Oh, no, what will I do? Well, <clears throat> Of course, he's in, in Romans 4, 10, I'll finish up here. He says, how was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And then, of course, he received the sign, the sign or the seal of circumcision later. But when was he declared righteous? God declared Abraham righteous apart from works. Abraham simply believed God, and God said, that is righteous. And Abraham was declared righteous. By the way, people in the Old Testament were saved exactly the same way they're saved in the New Testament. By faith. Believing what God had said. Abraham was declared to be righteous. Now we come back to Galatians chapter 2. 
That's what justification is. It's being declared righteous. And this is what Paul is saying. He says, we know this. We Jews who have received Christ, we know that a man is not justified by the works of the law. In the very next, ber- um, cha- uh, in the very next book, in Ephesians chapter 2, what does Paul say? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. Or for by grace are you declared to be righteous. Are you justified? That's what being saved is. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3, 5 and 6. What does Titus say? He says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. The washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of what? Hope of eternal life. So apart from works, God declares a man to be just, to be justified, and he gives them eternal life if he will only believe by faith. And so in Galatians 2.16, Paul says, we believe this. And we understand that by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. I mean, he hammers that truth away there in verse 16. He says it like twice. But then we come to verse 17. He says, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ... We ourselves also are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. That's an interesting verse. We need to make sure we pick it apart here and divide it up so we can understand what is being said. Again, obedience to the law has nothing to do with justification. Peter knew that. Paul states it. But if at the same time we are found to be sinners in our standing before God, note the logical conclusion. There are basically three statements here in verse 17. The first, it's an if. Both of these, there's two if statements, and then there's a conclusion, then. If this, then that. So let's look at what Paul says. If while we seek to be justified by Christ... Who is Paul describing? He's describing believers. Those who have placed their faith in Christ apart from works, being justified by faith in Christ. If, while we seek to be justified by Christ, if we ourselves are found to be sinners. There's two if statements. The first one is, If, and we're talking about we who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, if at the same time we are found to be what? Sinners. Now let's stop right there. You said, well, hang on a second. We're all sinners. No one's perfect. I mean, yeah, I'm saved, but I I still sin. Is that what he's talking about? No. That's not what he's talking about. He is talking about our standing before God. Listen carefully to this. This is very important that you understand what he's saying here. 
If while we are trusting in Christ by faith alone to be justified, if in doing that, we are still found in a state of being a sinner, if we are still found in a state of being unjust before God, there's a big problem. If while doing this, seeking our justification through Christ by faith alone, if while doing this we are found to be not justified in our standing before God, sinners, we are found, if we are found here deficient in our standing before God, there's the other, that's the other part of this. We're seeking our justification through faith in Christ. And if in that position, we are found deficient in our standing before God, then what's the logical conclusion? Well, I know you're ready to jump right into that, but hold on just a second. You see, this is what the Judaizers were, this is what they were teaching. This is what they were teaching. If you did not also keep the law you would be found falling short of being justified. And again, I've said it before, but let me read again to you. Acts chapter 15 and verse 1. What did they say? Certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. There it is. Wait a minute. But we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We're justified by faith alone. But what you Judaizers are saying is, at the same time, if we are not keeping the law, then our standing before God is not one of being just, but being deficient in our righteousness. We are still found sinners. If that be the case... What is the only conclusion? Well, he says there in verse 17, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? Wow. Is Christ a, the minister of a sinful standing before God? Of a deficient position? Is the position of believing and trusting God by faith alone, is that a deficient Position? Does it need something else? Are we truly not just in the sight of God? By faith alone? That's what the Judaizers were teaching. By the way, that's exactly what the Roman Catholic Church teaches. It is precisely what the Roman Catholic Church teaches today. Most Catholics you will... In, in encounter, do not know their dogma. They do not know what their, their doctrine is. But if you go back to the Council of Trent, what does the Council of Trent say? Let me tell you something. If you read that, you better read it with wisdom. Because, listen, the devil does not corrupt by dumping a bunch of poison in your lap. Just a little, mixed with a lot of truth. But listen to this. <clears throat> In the Council of Trent, Session 6, 
There's a de the decree on justification. It says, They, through the observance of the commandments of God and of the church, increase in that justice received through the grace of Christ and are further justified. Now, that word justice means righteousness, right standing before God. That's the wording they're using. They're using the word justice, and that's what it means. So here's what they said. It's important, speaking of those who would be in their church, that they, through the observance of the commandments of God and of the church, increase in that justice received through the grace of Christ and are further justified. And implied by works. What does that tell you? That justification by faith in Christ is deficient. It's not enough. Not only do they say that, but if you go down in the same, um, in the same session, Canon 24 says this, If anyone says that the justice received is not preserved and also not increased before God through good works, but that those works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not the cause of its increased, let him be anathema. Let him be damned. Let me read that again. If anyone says that the justice received, now remember that's justification, that's a righteous standing before God. If anyone says that the justice received is not preserved and also not increased before God through good works, what is that telling us? That faith in Christ alone is deficient. It has to be preserved and increased by good works. And if anyone says otherwise, and if they say that those works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not the cause of its increase, let him be anathema. Wow. Those are the very words that Paul used in Galatians chapter 1. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be what? Anathema. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. Now, he, no, and I misquoted that first verse. Though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye have received. Received from who? From Paul, who received it directly from Christ. Let him be accursed. You see, folks, what the Roman Catholic Church teaches is precisely what the Judaizers were teaching. That faith in Christ alone is insufficient for justification. <laughs> and this is why Paul was up in arms over the behavior of Peter. Because Peter, by his actions and by his associations with the Judaizers, was communicating to the Gentile believers that their faith was deficient that they weren't fully justified 
unless they, unless they observed the requirements of the law. And that is absolutely damnable. That is not true. It goes completely against Scripture. Of course, he says there in verse 16, I mean, verse 17, there again, let's look back over that verse now that we have this understanding of what it means. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, and how is a man justified by Christ? By faith alone. If in doing that, putting our faith and trust in Christ, we find ourselves in a standing of being sinners before God, if we are still seen as unjust, unjustified, unrighteous before God, if that is the case, then Christ is the minister of sin. What does the word sin mean? The word sin simply means this. It means falling short. That's what that word means. It actually means simply falling short. When we talk about man being a sinner, what is he falling short of? For all have what? All have sinned and come short. They fall short of the glory of God. They fall short of God's standard. Every man is a sinner. And in being as such, he falls short of the glory of God. Sin is falling short. Therefore, if by faith in Christ, my standing before God is insufficiently righteous and it falls short, then Christ is the minister of sin. And Paul says, God forbid, may it never be. That is unthinkable. But look at the wisdom that, Paul, that God gave Paul to discern what was actually going on through a simple act of Peter, who under the influence of the fear of man, eats with the Judaizers and separates from other believers with whom he had been fellowshipping freely. Look at the significance of his actions. What were his actions saying? His actions were saying, Christ is the minister of sin. He is the minister of shortcoming. Because if you have just placed your faith in Christ and aren't keeping the Mosaic law, then you are not fully justified. Wow. Now you see how important it was that Paul rebuke him, and not just privately. And so, oh, by the way, Peter, you kind of made a mistake. You should correct this. And, oh, okay, thanks, Paul. I appreciate you keeping this personal and private. I, you know, no. They all had seen it, it was done publicly, and it needed a public rebuke. Is Christ, therefore, the minister of sin? God forbid. And we go on. If you note up to this point, Paul has been using the pronoun we. He's including himself with Peter. But note what he does in verses 18 through the end of the chapter. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead needlessly or dead in vain. I think it's pretty obvious why Paul uses the pronoun I. He is being very gracious to Peter because this is a strong rebuke. And so he puts himself in the position of, well, if I did this, now, was Paul doing this? Not at all. But he didn't say, well, you know, you, Peter, you're doing this and you're doing that and you, you, you. He's being very gracious, being self-deprecating. He's actually saying, if, if I do this, then I find myself in a wrong standing. Of course, we know he's speaking about Peter because he's addressing Peter. But he softens this being you know, sensitive to Peter, who is really in the wrong. But let's note what he says here in verse 18. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Now, just by reading that, you should have a kind of a pretty good idea of what it means, but let's look at this <clears throat> carefully. If I build again the things which once I destroyed, or which I once destroyed, what was destroyed that is being resurrected here? Do you know what it is? It's the law. The law. Wait, 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 wait just a minute. Destroying the law? What, what are you talking about? Well, we need to go back to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. <clears throat> What is destroyed? We're talking about the believer's relationship to the law. And Paul starts here in Romans 7 with an illustration. He's going to describe what he's speaking about. He says, Know ye not, brethren, I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. He says, let me illustrate this to you. He gives us his illustration from marriage. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed or freed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Quite clear. This illustration would, you can't miss it. He says, hey, here's the law. Woman marries a man, she is bound by the law to her husband. How long? Till death do us part. Okay? It's a, it's a covenant. It's an oath. It is a contractually, legally binding agreement. Right? Amen. All right. So, bound. Well, but what if she burns my toast? Okay. No, it doesn't. You eat it and say thank you. Um, but here, he says, it's this legally binding contract. And she is under that law. However... And, 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 if she, and, and if she abandons her husband, what is she going to be called? Well, the law 
defines that person. It says, you've broken the law. You've broken a covenant. You are an adulteress. Same could be said for the husband, but he's using this as an illustration. You're an adulteress. And that's just because you're a lawbreaker. You've broken that covenant. However, if the husband is dead, she is free to remarry. What happened that terminated her relationship to the law? Death. Death terminates the relationship to the law. So he gives that illustration. Now, look at verse 4. Romans 7, verse 4, and here's where it's explained. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become, what? Dead to the law. Dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So here's this illustration. We go back here to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 18. Paul says, If I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. When you go back to the Jewish dietary laws, or for that matter, as is going to be addressed in Galatians, circumcision, as necessary for a right standing before God, you are rebuilding that which has been destroyed. You're trying to resurrect the requirements of the law which have no claim on the Christian for his standing before God. And if you are rebuilding that which has been destroyed that demonstrates that you are still a transgressor in the sight of God. Your position is back under the law. So if I build again that which I destroyed, if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself, I, I, I condemn myself. I'm condemned. I stand as a transgressor because now I'm putting myself under the requirements of the law. And by the works of the law shall what? No flesh be justified in the sight of God. For it is written, the just shall live by what? Faith. Now, if you, when you ascribe to the works of the law, or any works added to faith, you demonstrate that faith in Christ is not enough or is or that faith in Christ is deficient to fully save what did Jesus say when he was on the cross it is what it is finished what is finished the work of redemption there is nothing that you can add to Christ's work. You will not share in His glory. You cannot add to His plan of salvation. Jesus said, it is complete. It is finished. It is done. Once for all. But listen, if you resurrect the law, 
if you bring anything to bear upon your justification in addition to faith, then what you are doing is making Christ the minister of a deficient faith. You make him the minister of that which falls short of God's righteousness, which he demands. You make Christ the minister of sin. Amen. And that is absolute blasphemy. In verses 19 through 21 here in Galatians, which we will get to, Lord willing, next week. Man, there's, there's so much here. I wish I, I, wish I could just... And get it all, you know. It's like you know, you know, when you when you juice an orange, you just want it all out. You just, yeah, I want every drip I can get out of this. This is so good. But here in verses nineteen through twenty-one, he's talking about what he goes for. Verse nineteen says, "For I through the law am dead to the law. I am dead to the law that I might live unto God." What is the believer's relationship to the law? It's over. It's ended, or as he says in verse 18, destroyed. It is not a means to justification. It is not in any wise a means to justification. Our standing before God has nothing to do with keeping the law. It's important to realize that, important to believe that. You say, well then, what was the purpose of the law? Paul's answered that for you. Romans 5. Okay? Romans 7. What was the law given to do? In Galatians, he's going to tell us that uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, wherefore the law was what? It was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by what? Faith. Ha! What did the law do? The law, said, the law is a sign that says, not this way, that way. And it points to Christ. The law is our schoolmaster to make us realize that there's no way we can be righteous according to the law. It can only declare us to be guilty because we are lawbreakers. It's like a gate on a path. And just beyond the gate is a precipice that just falls thousands of feet. And the sign says, not this way. That way. The law points us to Christ. He says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster. We're no longer under the schoolmaster. Well, that's interesting. Well, so, so then what, what, what's the law for? You know what, folks? Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. That's what Peter says. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. He is the terminal point. He's the fulfillment. How do I fulfill the law? I don't. But Christ's righteousness did. And God accepted that. And so by faith, I accept Christ's righteousness. And God looks at me and declares me to be righteous. He justifies me based upon the merits of Christ's righteousness, which is not deficient, and which is perfect and acceptable in the sight of God.
folks, this is such a blessed passage. It really is. Like I said, we'll continue next week in verses 19 through 21, but make sure you understand what is being said in verse 17. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found deficient in our standing before God. That's exactly what he means by sinners. It's not like, oh, well, I sinned. No, he knows that Paul sinned, Peter sinned. He's talking about his standing before God as being righteous or unrighteous, being saved or unsaved, justified or unjustified. If while we seek to be justified by Christ, by faith in Christ, which is just described in verse 16, if in that point we ourselves are also found to be in an improper or a deficient standing before God, if that is true, then Christ is deficient. He is the minister of a short-coming gospel. And Paul says, may that never be. That, God forbid, that is not true. For I, through the law, am dead to the law. The law has no requirements that I have to fulfill. There's no dietary restrictions. There's no issue of circumcision. That's been done away in Christ. Now, I want you, as I close, I want you to turn to Titus. Titus chapter 3, we looked at that earlier. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, 7, we read those three verses. Remember what the Catholics said in Canon 24? Speaking about good works, if anyone says that the justice received is not preserved and also not increased before God through good works, but that those works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not the cause of its increase, let him be anathema. That's what the Catholics say. Well, let's see what Paul said to Titus. I'm going to read this again, starting at verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. But note verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. How are they good and profitable? It's a great testimony. But do you see how in this verse that these are the fruit? These are the fruit. Who is to maintain good works? Those seeking justification through faith in Christ? No. He says, I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God, those who are justified, those who are the children of God, those who have come to Christ through faith, that they be careful to have a good testimony, that they be careful to maintain good works. For these things are profitable to men. This is your testimony. If any man be in Christ, he is what? He's new. He's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become become new. I delight to do thy will, O God. That is the attitude of the man who has been justified. He desires to do that which is pleasing in the sight of God, but it does not make him justified It is the fruit, and it is the sign of his justification. And let us preach that till we die. 
regardless of what any other religion says. That is the truth. Listen, good works are the fruit of our position in Christ. Good works do not bring us in any way into favor with God. For all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. God does not approve of our righteousness in the manner in the matter of justification. Man cannot be righteous enough. Because man is a sinner. And the only righteousness that God accepts is the righteousness of his son, who is not a sinner, who fulfilled the law, and who was given, as the scripture says, for our justification. Well, that's all I can say. But that is enough. Jesus said it is finished. There's nothing you can add. Listen, let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, saith the Lord. Do you know him? Do you understand him? If you do, rejoice and glory in that. For in the end, nothing else matters. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much, Lord, for your plan of salvation. It is ever new, and Lord, may it ever be fresh in our minds, and that which in which we exult, and that in which we rejoice and glory, that we know you. What a gracious privilege you have given to us. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who justifies ungodly people by simple faith in Christ. Father, may we be careful not to rebuild or try to rebuild the things which have been done away. And Lord, may we be wise and have discernment as we go about our daily lives. Lord, may we love the truth. May it be precious to us. May we not compromise the truth and may we stand for it. We thank you that the truth is in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.